You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So, let's get our Bibles open back up. Will you please? We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, I, um, I often wonder what your week is like. I mean, I, I know what my week was like, and I uh, would love to hear how things go for you guys throughout the week. I, I, um, this is really not a part of my message, but I would like to share this with you. That um, So this past week, I had an opportunity. I shared this last Wednesday night. I shared it in Sunday school, but um, I didn't give all the details of everything, but Tuesday night, I went out to, uh, to make a visit uh, all the way out to DeSmet, had a great visit with a young couple. Young man has just gotten, recently been saved and was concerned about uh, his um, fiance. And uh, so I went out there to witness to them. <clears throat> so on my way there, it was probably six something. It was, uh, the sun was trying to go down. And if you're driving west on I-90, the sun sits right the ball of the sun sits right on the interstate, and you, you look like you're driving right into this huge fire, and it's hard to see what you're doing. And, um, and so my GPS wasn't taking me to the address that this couple had given to me. It kept wanting me to go north instead of south or vice versa. I can't remember which, which one of the two it was. So I would glance down. I was trying to, to get him to, uh, to tell me what's going on here. Have you, have you given me the wrong address or something like that? So um, we were going back and forth just a little bit, and uh, so right as I, I look back up, you know, you can do 80 on Interstate 90. Does everybody know that? That's, uh, that's a big amen. And I had it set on 80, and I looked up, and um, as, right as I looked up, there's a duck flying across the interstate, trying to gain altitude. And I'm doing 80 miles an hour, and it's not taking me long to see that I was going to probably meet him. And uh, the closer this duck gets to me, and he's flapping his wings, I'm not kidding. Last thing I remember seeing about this duck was him looking in my windshield like, I don't think I'm going to make this. And just, boom, I hit that duck. That thing shot so high up in the air. Now, ladies, I heard somebody say, oh, you're talking about my windshield, right? You're concerned for my windshield? So I'm like, oh, man, that hit so hard. I mean, my sunglass case popped open. My sunglasses fell out dropped on the console, busted the them. I'm like, oh my, you know how something like that just happens to you? I'm like, I got to pull over. So I got off on the next exit where I was heading to their place, pulled over and got out. I just wanted to make sure that he had not um, broke something, and thankfully he had not quacked my windshield. I've waited all week to use that one line. That's pretty awesome, wasn't it? It did not quack at all, um, but we did lose the duck. I will tell you that Aflac has now gone out of business. He is no longer in existence. And if that wasn't enough, so I'm visiting this young couple and uh, in their late 20s, and I believe they are, and we had made just a great visit. I went through the gospel with them, and he's already saved. And come to find out, she was already saved. He had pretty much led her to the Lord and, and witnessed to her, and she had 
on her own had prayed and asked Christ to save her. We believe she knows Christ as well. And we, I mean, it was like 11.15 at night when I'm like, well, I better go. Uh, we talked and we had such a great time together. So, um, sitting around their kitchen table in a wooden chair, these wooden chairs are very common to, to kitchen tables. The wooden legs go up into the bottom of the wooden seat that you're sitting on. And so uh, I'm like, I, I got to be going. We had a word of prayer. I pushed away from the table. And the next thing I heard was crack. And I exploded their kitchen chair. I went over backwards. Last thing I remember seeing was not the duck eyes, but it was this woman's face going, oh, it looked like it was slow motion. Oh my goodness. And my legs go straight up in the air, arms straight up in the air. I'm laying on my back and I thought, man, the rapture just happened and he couldn't get me up. He just dropped me. It was unbelievable. Um, but it was made quite an impression on them. I'm sure they'll remember me for the rest of their life for reasons that I was hoping would be something different. But it was great. We had a great visit, and we, we wound up well. One visit to the chiropractor, and I'm, I'm, as, I'm, I'm 75%. I'm doing pretty good. That was my week. I wonder how your week went. So tell me after the service. Ephesians 4. We're in Ephesians 4 and verse 1. <clears throat> Have you ever heard somebody say that... Um, that this is a hinge chapter in the book, or this page was a, a everything hinges on this one point. And what uh, what chapter four is? It's a it's a hinge chapter. Uh, and here's what everybody needs to know. Please listen to me. And, and chapter four will mean a lot more to you. Chapters one, two, and three are all about this is what happened to you. Uh, he gives the doctrine of our salvation. He tells us about what Christ did for us. Remember, he tore down that middle wall of separation between us and the Jews, and now we have, all of us have complete access to God. And he, he explains some very doctrinal, uh, let me put it this way, positional issues in the Christian life. So he goes from now chapters 1, 2, and 3 to chapters 4, 5, and 6. And while chapters 1, 2, and 3 are positional or explains what my position is in Christ. Don't, please don't let me lose you on that. He now goes to practical. And now how do I live out chapter 4, 5, and 6, what God just showed me in the first three chapters? And so that's what uh, chapter 4 is going to explain to us uh, as we begin in a very practical, here's how you live your Christianity kind of, uh, of writing. So verse 1, if you'll follow, we're going to do the first six verses here today. So now Paul, he says to them, and he's beginning to teach them, here's how you live it out. I therefore, and that's the hinge right there, I'm, I'm going to take you from where we wa were to where we going, are going to be. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That simply means when I called you, I brought you, I called you to salvation. You want to call that the vocation? Uh, you can. But what he's simply saying is, when I saved you, I want you to have a worthy walk within that salvation. So the title of my message today is The Worthy Walk. The Worthy Walk. Can we read verse 1 again? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all, here he goes, very practical right off the bat. With all lowliness and meekness, 
with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to specifically notice the word endeavoring. Uh, it would be worthy of highlighting, underlining, maybe even looking it up. I'm going to explain it to you. But again, these are sometimes the, some of the words we will yawn our way through these passages and miss how dynamite what he's trying to say really is. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And now, these next several verses, I have many times I've said to myself, what do those verses have to do with anything else that he has just said? I believe everything he's going to say in verses 4 to 6, but what is the significance of those verses? And so, in reality, they really are tied in with everything he just said in those first three verses. He's trying to show the unity. This is all about unity. And so, since he said in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, now he shows how there is a unity in what God has done for us. Verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in. Notice, one hope of your calling. We'll explain all these. You have one Lord, you have one faith, you have one baptism. All of us came to these things together as in, in the same fashion. We're all unified in this same way. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And hopefully you kind of gather just a little bit of the idea of what uh, Paul's trying to bring across here. Let me have prayer and we'll get into our, our message here today. Lord, again, I am I'm grateful uh, for the good week that I did have, Lord, the safety and blessing you, you gave to me. And i praying and asking God that you would just bless this time together now as we open the Word of God once again and uh, try to understand the practical living of everyday Christian life. Help us here. I pray, Lord, that it would really mean something to us and be able to grow thereby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, verse 1 um, kind of heads up for us what God wants us to know about our calling, whatever that calling is. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, as Paul sits in prison writing this letter, he's saying, I, I, guys, listen to me. I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Well, in other words, when you were sitting in the church service or somebody came to you as a friend and tried to bring the gospel to you and you responded to that gospel, the calling of God is what drew you to him. And now God is saying, walk worthy of that uh, salvation that you have. And he's trying to teach us how we, uh, we need to make sure that we, that we do that. In other words, I want you to live out now who you already are. Has anybody come down the street on, on 26th Street to get to church here? A week or two ago, there's a sign up that says, uh, says, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. And you had to stop and think about that for a minute. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I got the idea what you're trying to get across. But I think that's kind of what God's trying to say here. Be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to live out like the people in the world do. Be yourself. Well, if I'm going to be myself, that doesn't mean to to be the individual that I am and let my personality shine. That's not what I'm trying to get across today. What God is trying to get us to understand is when I saved you, when you got saved and became part of the family of God, then there is a way that I expect you to live your life, a worthy walk with me. And I, he says, I want to show you what that's going to look like. If you'll be willing to follow the word of God, this is what I want you to, to know and what I want you to do. So, 
Uh, again, he's pleading with them. Uh, uh, have you ever heard of Newton's third law? I'm sure that's a book everybody's read recently, right? But Newton's third law states, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. For me getting saved, there should be an equal response to the worth that was laid down for me and the worth that I now need to live my life like, like him. I remember uh, an example I read years ago in a book about a young man. His father had given him a very special golden coin, and it was uh, obviously being gold was worth a lot by itself, but it had some kind of an insignia on it. It was something very special. It represented something to do with the family. And this thing was really a small fortune for this young man. And he was on a ship. And as he was traveling on the ship to get across to where the other country was going to be and start this brand new life, he brought this coin out of his pocket. And he kind of leaned over on the edge of the ship. And the water's out there. And he's just thinking about some things. And he just kind of tossed that coin up in the air and he'd catch it toss it up in the air like that, leaning over the water, and the third time he tossed it up in the air, he reached out to grab it, and he didn't reach out far enough, and that golden coin fell into the water, lost a fortune, because he didn't realize what he had, and he didn't act appropriately with something that had such high value, and the idea behind that is that's the way Christianity is a lot of times lived, it's just a toss of a coin, what am I going to do today? I got a new day of life. Okay, probably be much like yesterday. But you lose the value of what God has given to you. And God says to us today, I think he tries to ring the bell. I beseech you guys, is what he's saying, walk worthy of what I have given to you. There's high value to what I've placed in your heart. Uh, you know, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So, my dad would try to get me to understand it. I would come home and I, I'd spent time with some of my friends and, and I didn't always realize that some of the words they said were not words I was supposed to say at our house or some of the actions they did weren't the things that we would do in our house. And I can still hear my dad saying, Bub, or if it was more serious than that, it was Philip. Um, I know how other people may be living their lives, but but you live in this house and you're a Spencer and not just that you're a Spencer but we're Christian and we just don't live our lives the way the rest of the world does we're we're different and and I remember a little boy like okay I got to be a Spencer but more than that my dad wanted me to be Christ-like and to realize the value that was really in me live out who I really am not what others would like to uh to you know kind of conform me to be so all right, the worthy walk. So if, if, if you're, if you're going to have a worthy walk, and here's how Paul kind of jumps right into it, you'll never walk worthy of your calling. You'll never realize the full potential and value of what you really have if you cannot have a humble walk on this earth. Go down to verse 2 with me again. He gets right into it with living out this practicality. Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Learn how to live a humble life. I, you know as well as I do. You watch, you watch your football games, and you watch somebody that scores <clears throat> you know, a touchdown. You watch them do the little dance uh, in the end zone. Uh, you watch others in other areas of sports, and you watch how people act. It's, it's full of pride 
and I, I don't see that spirit of humility. And I, I, sometimes you'll see a, a man, he'll drop to his knees and, and thank the Lord that he was able to do what he just did. But that's a rare thing that I see most of the time. And Paul comes along and he says, guys, so you've determined you want to live, uh, you know, worthy of the, of the calling that I've called you with. You, you want to live out your Christianity in a manner that shows me that uh, you understand the worth of exactly what I've given to you. Well, the first thing you better learn how to do is to walk humbly on this earth. Uh, I believe it was, uh, is it Micah that teaches us that we need to walk humbly with thy God. With all lowliness and meekness is what God starts us off with here. So what he's saying is when you read everything that Christ just did for us to bring me to salvation and make my salvation possible, it ought to cause you to walk in great humility. I know we preach the cross all the time. I know I talk about the cross up here. And I know we go back in the Gospels, and I, especially around Easter time, and we'll preach about what Jesus went through on Calvary for us. But would you stop and think about that? I was trying to think of the families in our church that have children. And, um, and, and if you had our congregation somehow, some way, was uh, facing death and maybe uh, guys are standing around us with guns and maybe they're terrorists and you say preacher not in not in South Dakota but there are places where this does happen can, can you imagine somebody standing up and picking up their son and walking up to the terrorists and saying you know would you would you take my son I'll give you my son if you can spare everybody else in the church would you please do that and, uh, and to see that man and to understand the look in his eyes of anguish of losing his son, but the reality of uh, how much uh, worth he places on this entire congregation, I, I can't fathom that. And if you can just imagine us running out of the auditorium and in the background hearing a shot ring out and realize a little boy's life had to be taken so that all of us could be made free and be set free, you kind of got to bring that home to your heart to realize God did that for me. Jesus did that for you. He took the Son of Heaven and was willing to put Him on the cross and He knew what all He was going to go through and how much anguish and suffering He would go through. And, uh, and to stop and realize what all God did for me ought to cause me to walk very humbly. How could I ever think that I was something? And to think that, I'll, myself, that I could be some kind of a great preacher or you could be some kind of a great singer or you'd be a great teacher or whatever it is you do uh, in your earthly vocation on this earth. Guys, you couldn't do anything if Jesus hadn't given us what we have here today. God help us to understand that if I'm going to walk worthy of my vocation, if you're going to come, let's just make it real practical and come inside the, the doors of this church. If you're going to be a servant at Eastside Baptist Church, you say, well, preacher, it's to everybody. I know that, but I can't preach to everybody. If you're going to come inside Eastside Baptist Church, if you're going to walk worthy of what God said you need to walk worthy of, God's looking for a man or a woman that walks humbly. They're not, it's not all about who I am. It's not uh, about look at me and what I can do, and you're not offended when somebody doesn't notice things that you've been doing. I mean, you're walking humbly with God. Uh, I don't know if you read books about missionaries of days gone by but Hudson Taylor is a name that I have heard for many years he was the very successful missionary to China hundreds of people came to know Christ through his ministry so he was scheduled to speak at um, this large church in Melbourne Australia 
And the moderator of the service, he gets up and introduces him. And, and I always want to introduce somebody properly. I do. I, I want people to know their credentials and, uh, and have a proper introduction. But this is the way they, that he was introduced. Uh, he introduced the missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. And he told the large congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China. And then presented him as, he said words like this, And now, here is our illustrious guest. Taylor stood up, came up behind the pulpit, stood there quiet for a moment, and then he opened his message with these words. Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. Man, God give us that attitude in our own heart, in our own church. Hudson Taylor, he established, if you've ever heard of the China Inland Mission to reach the unreached Chinese people, honestly, guys, humanly speaking, was a tremendous man, a great man of God. And yet when he stood up and was introduced as our illustrious guest, it broke his heart because he he came to realize it's not about me. I remember the other missionary story. I I remember hearing a, a missionary that had done tremendous works and hundreds of churches had been established in these uh, back fields of some foreign African country or something and everybody heard that this missionary's missionary was coming home and and a large crowd had gathered around uh, you know at the airport and as this little humpback and this I remember the words about this little guy this little humpback missionary got off the airplane and came walking toward the crowd he was stunned to see this large crowd and one of the dignitaries walked up to him and shook his hand and, uh, and, and, and he said, uh, do you know they're comparing you to the Apostle Paul? Can you believe that? And he broke down in tears. He said, I was hoping they would see Jesus in me. I don't want to be like another man. I, I, I want to be a, just this humble individual that God can use. No one can serve God without His grace upon them. And the humility that a man lives his life by draws the grace of God on the lives of individuals. Listen to what James tries to tell us in James 4 and verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Now think about this. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And when I have a humble spirit, I don't get built up in pride I don't get offended at what you said about me or the way you acted toward me you know when we do that guys you know what you're saying please understand this that I'm pretty special and you have offended me but think about Christ and what he did on Calvary and how he hung there we spat on him we spat on him Uh, we treated him like he was a, a dog and wanted him away from here and yet he loved us and he was willing to go all the way to Calvary and all the way to his death all the way to the resurrection for us God help us to have a a humble heart here today D.L. Moody said it best be humble or you'll stumble and that's true but help you a lot in your marriages have some humility in your marriage and not get so huffy and all you know built up in pride because she said this or he did that and and if we could just learn humility if you're going to understand the great value that God gave to you in your heart what it was that God gave to you and how much was really spent so that you and I can have the salvation that we have 
if I'm going to recognize the value of what I have today, you'll learn to have a humble heart. And you'll drop her down a few notches until you hit bottom. And just turn around and say, God, you're everything. You're an illustrious God, and I'm just a hunk of clay on this earth. And that you would even think that you would use somebody like me stuns me that God would use me. And Paul says, if you're going to live out what I taught you in chapters 1, 2, and 3, then I'm looking for somebody that's willing to walk with a humble heart before God. A humble husband, a humble wife, a a humble teacher, a humble anybody that wants to be able to serve God. I need to see the humility of Christ in them. Number two, it gets easier. Not really. Then you have to walk patiently. Now look at verse two again. We're being practical about this with all lowliness and meekness with, let's see, what's that word? Long, you say, well, they got the right word at the end. Suffering, long suffering, forbearing one another in love. My uh, middle daughter, Candace, has been home since Wednesday night, and, uh, and they left this morning to drive back home to Tulsa. Um, and she has a, a little six-year-old, Riker. Riker has the energy of 27 locomotives. I, I don't know how else to say it. You say, yeah, preacher, we hear that all the time. Wish I could have this energy. No. I'm not kidding. I, I've been around kids a lot. I used to do junior church, and I, I've taught in the Christian school, and I, I don't remember a little boy that has the energy that this little kid has. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we went to Walmart because we were, we were going to have a fire in, uh, in the fire pit in the backyard Friday night, and uh, so we went to Walmart to get the, the marshmallows and the chocolate, the chocolate for the, the cookies. Yeah, that's a good amen right there. Um, and I'm not kidding, this little guy is like a helicopter. All the, you know, a helicopter spins all the time, and he's just all up and down the aisles and, and, and with everybody, and somebody walks past him, hi, my name's Riker, and he just keeps on walking and, and moving, and people are walking past us, and I'm like, Riker, come over here, stand, stand right here, bud. Okay, and he's just going all the time. We tried to play Kids Monopoly last night, and the board was getting bumped, and he's moving, and something inside of me was saying, you're six years old. I'm 63. I'm going to show you how to, I mean, he's just being six years old times 10. It just is. And my patience level was, was going. I really, truly love him to death. I mean, he's very, very special to me. I can't believe how my patience is just not there with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. We're not a very patient people, if we'll be honest about it. Somebody's in front of you, in their car in front of you, you're driving down a two-lane road, and there's two cars up on each, in each lane, and both of them are doing five miles under the speed limit. And I could be doing 30, and they're doing 25. And we'll get, we'll get right up on the bumper of that person, and we'll glare and hope they look in their rearview mirror. I don't do that. I stay about five feet back and do that. You guys get right up on their bumper. They're, they're right in front of me. Why don't, why don't you hurry up and, and, and we'll, we'll, put, uh, we'll, put, <laughs> we'll put popcorn in a microwave and stand there impatiently waiting for our popcorn to get done in the microwave. And, and again, you guys don't know what it's like to stand there with a pot over the stove 
with popcorn in it and oil in the bottom of the pan. Did anybody else ever make popcorn that way? That's why you had, you had to do this, guys, over a stove. It was terrible to make your popcorn. Now you just throw it in the microwave. You just, uh, hurry up. <clears throat> guys, we've got to learn how to be patient if we're going to show the value of what we've been given by Jesus Christ. We have to be patient people with each other. Let's just, again, let's bring it inside the doors of the church. Riker's, Riker's halfway to Tulsa now. But I'm inside the church with a bunch of people. And sometimes people bump into people. Please listen to me. Sometimes people say and do things that kind of rub us the wrong way. And that impatience begins to build up inside of us. And they get frustrating to us. They get in our path. And, and, and they're constantly around. And I, I seem like it's, I just get impatient with certain kinds of people. I'm just saying, though, guys, you're going to have to learn that if you're going to be a people person, and if you're going to be a Christian, you need to be a people person. You can't be a hermit stuck in the background somewhere and just can't wait till everybody you know, scatters and they're gone. I, you can't be like that and be a Christian. You've got to be willing to open up and to minister and to serve. And if you're going to serve and be a people person, you're always going to bump into people. Little Riker. I really, I do love him. I, and, and, uh, and I wish they could have stayed longer. But the little guy, we were walking. I took him to Good Earth State Park. And we're walking all along the way. I'm not kidding. People pass us. Hi, my name's Riker. And, and then he would get right in front of me. And I'm stepping all over this little guy. And I'm like, Riker, stand over here, bud. Okay, okay, Papaw. And he found this stick that looked like a hammer. And he's pounding on everything. And he's about to poke me in the head. And this is okay. He's six years old. That's okay for about 10 minutes. And after a while, I'm like, Riker. I'm just saying, in church, if we would be honest, one of the hardest problems we have is learning how to be patient with slow people. Slow? Yeah, they get in my way. I've got things I need to be doing, and you've, you've really interrupted my, you know, my ministry. You have rudely got in, you know, this and that. I mean, just name all the things. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm just saying, you're not going to be a very good people person if that's the way you're going to be with the people that Jesus gave his life for. He didn't just die for you. He died for every one of us. And I'm so glad Jesus Christ was patient with this guy right here. While I saved at nine years old, it took me a long time to, to yield and surrender to God's call in my life, and he's still working on me. I, I Lots of things that need to change and happen in my life, but God was so patient with me to get there. Why are we so impatient with one, with one another? Again, bring it back into the home, guys. Hey, husbands, our wives, the way sometimes they, we just get very impatient with their lack of whatever it might be, and wives, it might be the same thing with you towards your husband or your little Rikers in your home. Amen. No amens there, but I'll give an amen to that. I mean, our, I mean I'll just talk about my wife for a minute. She's, she's gone to El Paso, and she's babysitting the kids again uh, down there. Uh, but I do appreciate the patience that my wife demonstrates toward me. I mean, I'll be honest sometimes, guys. I look in the mirror, and I'm thinking, I can't believe she's willing to you know, live in the same house, climb in the same bed with this. And if I was her, I mean, I would probably say, honey, you can take the income tax money and get whatever it takes to help this out just a little bit. I, I mean, I'm thinking she's one of the most patient people in the world with me. And I thank God for her. 
And I'm so thankful that uh, when I'm the way I am, and you say, oh, preacher, you're, you're, you're a great guy, you see me preaching in the pulpit. You see me shaking hands as we go out. But I'm a guy at the house, and there's things that she has to be very patient with me about, and vice versa. And I'm just saying, if you're going to be the kind of person that understands the value of everything that God has given to you, then you're going to have to learn how to work patiently with one another. To be honest with you, some of you probably have a little bit of a burr under your saddle about someone in your family or someone here at the church, possibly. You're impatient. And the truth of the matter is you're leaning over a ship like this. you got something very valuable that God has given to you, and you're just tossing it up in the air very casually like uh, you don't understand the value of what God has placed inside your heart. Colossians 4, 6 tells us to let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Be patient with each other. Christian growth takes time, guys. So as James told us, let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire or maturing inside, wanting nothing or lacking nothing in your Christian walk with God. We are so impatient, and God help us to learn the virtue of being patient with one another. Patient people change more lives for God than others do because they act more like Jesus does toward us. So then lastly, you need to appreciate the value of what you've been given enough. You need to know what God has given to you and appreciate it so much that lastly, you're willing to walk in unity. These all kind of say the same thing, but they have their own uniqueness. Look in verse 3 with me again. Notice what he says here, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, this is a big one. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How many of you know the verse 2 Timothy 2.15? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the word study to show thyself approved unto God means that you need to dig into the word of God. You need to look and see what it's talking about. You need to flip back and forth from uh, one book to the next book to understand what does God mean here when he says this in the Bible. That's what it means to study to show thyself approved. The word study and the word endeavoring in verse 3 right here. Same thing. The word endeavor means, guys, if I'm going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, all right, and and again, I'm bringing it back inside the church, you can bring it into your house, you can take this to the workplace, here's what God just said to you, if you really understand the value of what I've given to you, then learn how to walk in unity, endeavor to keep the, the, the unity of the Spirit. In other words, you walk in those doors and you see something that does not look like unity, because your heart is stirred up and it's bothering you and you can tell if this keeps happening around here I'm gonna have a major problem listen to me God just said to you friend then you need to stop and study it out and figure out how can I bring this to a a a unifying effort how can I get with so-and-so or with this family or this individual that comes to our church that aggravates me or that I'm just not in unity with this person What can I do, God, to bring unity between me and that person? That's what that verse is saying. Endeavoring 
studying and working really hard. Go back home, husbands, and you say, well, we're just not getting along at our house. Then you need to endeavor. You need to dig. Get into some books. Get into some counseling. Well, we just don't need counseling. We can work this out on our own. So how's that working out? I'm just asking. I don't know. I'm just saying, if it's not working out, you need to learn how to endeavor and dig into and to delve and uh, to beg God and to plead and say, Lord, what do I need to do so that unity can be brought to this place, to my family, in this relationship, to the house of God where Jesus Christ gave his life for us? What can I do to have part in bringing unity to the body of believers here. God help me not to be one that is walking in disunity. And I know that I've got an issue with you and you've aggravated me and you're causing me problems or you've caused whatever others problems. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to walk out the doors of the church and get in your car and drive away aggravated? Or are you going to endeavor? That's the word. And God says that to us. You need to work at whatever it takes to bring unity to this thing. Christ gave his life for us. Are you identifying your walk as such? Now, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what the word bond there means? It means glue, like super glue. Bob Smith, an evangelist, was... um, what was he doing? He was getting ready to go to a, a, uh, uh, an evangelistic service that night and was going to go preach a revival and something had broken, something he owned, his sunglasses or something. He had some super glue and he was going to, uh, he was going to fix those sunglasses and he couldn't get that, you know, that lid gets super glued on and he was trying to pop it off and, and then the little pin in the end and he was trying to peel that thing off like that and he did and squirted super glue across, across his lips. And now his mouth is super glued closed. I'm not kidding. He says, I'm like 15 minutes from needing to be at the church. You know what he did? He went to the, <laughs> he went to the mirror and got a razor blade. Yep. And there is a very, very, very thin layer <laughs> of dead skin on your fingers and even on your lips. And he said, I shaved that super glue off until my mouth would open up. Yeah probably wasn't the illustration to use here, but it works. The bond, listen, when the unity of the Spirit is there, listen to this, when you're working at it and you're trying to make this marriage work and the the relationship is so-and-so better, you're trying to make the house of God better, and I want to walk in unity, I'm tired of living a life like this, I want to be Christ-like. He says when you endeavor and you work at it and you're on your knees saying, God, work this out, and you go and talk to so-and-so and you work these details out with that person, God says the bond or the glue of peace Uh, is what will come into your life, it'll come into your marriage, it'll come into your relationship, it will bond you together, you're stuck together, You're, you're, you're unified, you're walking together in that spirit of love, that's what God wants to happen for his church. Now, he does go through, and now now look in verse 4, and he says there's one body, now I'm going to use this as Uh, I I know he has talked about the family of God in previous chapters in this book, and that's just talking about everybody in heaven and on earth. Uh, The body can be a reference to the body of believers here at our church or in local assemblies. And as far as we are concerned, I know there's other churches in the world, but there is one body, and we're all together in that one body. How did, hey, 
Look up here. How did we all get in that one body? Did you do something to get there? Or did Jesus Christ do something to make it possible that every one of us could have a part in this body? Of course, Christ did what it took. He has unified us together in one body. There's one spirit. How did you get saved? The same way everybody else in this church got saved. We got saved the same way by the Spirit of God coming to dwell in us. God forgiving me of my sin. There's one Spirit. There's not a bunch of different spirits. Even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. You know what the hope of our calling is? We go to heaven. That's what that's talking about. We all have the same hope. Guess what's going to happen? The person that's frustrating to you, that's causing disunity in your life... They all get to go to heaven with you. Can you believe that? We're all going to be there, centered around Jesus Christ. So live in unity is what he's trying to, to get us to understand. One body, spirit, called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord. It's not like I have a Lord and then you guys, you frustrating people, you've got some other God. No, we're all unified around one Lord. We have one faith. Only one way to Christ. We have one baptism. I believe it to be water baptism. There's one God and Father of all and, and above all and through all. And, and notice the wording, in you all. What is he trying to say there? We are brought together around Jesus Christ in a spirit of unity. God doesn't segregate us. Okay, you're saved and, and you guys are over there. Uh, you're saved and you guys are over here. And and no, we're one body in Christ. And if that's the way we were brought into the family, that's the way God wants us to live our lives. So, go to your house. Can I ask you today, are you walking in unity? What's it like? Things a little tense. How was the ride to church? When you come to church, are you sitting in the pew with People you love, are you in the auditorium with folks that you love, really genuinely love? Are you, are you got some kind of an issue going on? I think it's pretty clear. What God's trying to say to us is, when I save my children, I want them to learn now. Yeah, learn the doctrine, know what I've done for you, but now live it out. Start living like who you really are. You're not like the rest of the world anymore. You're a Christ one. We call them Christians. And I just would challenge our congregation here this morning, if there's issues, there's things that need to be worked on, if there's brethren in the same congregation that really and truly you need to be willing to get up next to and talk to, then you need to do that. I mean very practically, you need to know how to work those issues out, and to know that the command of God is to walk in unity. He's looking for somebody that's willing to be humble, let the patience of Christ dwell in them and allow those things to unify us together as one body of believers, walking together with the same purpose under the same God and watch how the Lord can bless that congregation. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.